Our text today is from Ephesians chapter 1. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 1, 7 through 12. Hear now God's Word. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Many of us come here today shaken by something. Something in the news, something in the political realm, something in the world, something in our families, something in our personal lives. This is not theoretical, it's very, very real, very pressing upon us. This is no less true for the Ephesian Christians as Paul writes this letter to them. And it is true for us today. His message for them was also a message for you. The Holy Spirit had you in mind as well. It is always about perspective. Whatever our circumstances are, it is always about how are we looking at this. What do we see? Do we see God's hand at work here? What is going on? We may be wringing our hands, as we often do. But I can assure you that God is never wringing His hands. He is above the circumstances. He is all-wise. He has a perfect plan. He is all-powerful. And if we stop there, we may still lack comfort, but I want to add a most critical doctrine to those two things. God's wisdom, God's power, God loves you. Together, those three things sustain us, encourage us, help us, get us from wherever we are to wherever He wants us to be next. You see, we don't know much about anything, but because of Him, because of what He's told us, we can know something about everything. We know because God has told us and He knows everything. So listen carefully today. And I think I can promise you, if you do, if you listen to God's Word carefully today, you will go away today encouraged. The reason I know that is not because I figured it out. But because God told me and He told you that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's magic there, if you will. I don't know how it works, but when God's Word comes to us, 
when it takes root, it bears fruit. It is powerful to change us. And whatever the circumstances are, the one thing, another thing that we do know is God is at work changing us. Man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I urge you to listen carefully. Now, the where and the why questions are the most important questions we ask in our lives. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? These are the three big questions that every worldview has to answer. Comedian Tim Allen, Tim the Toolman, has recently professed his faith in Christ. He said this, I always do ask uh, whoever put me here, the builder, what did you want to what did you want me to do? I just want a relationship with whoever built me. This is too much, too weird that it happened by accident. I don't believe that it happened by accident. In a recent interview with Stephen Colbert, actress Amanda Peet, when asked what she feared, she said, I feared death. I don't, I need to know what to believe in, she said. I don't want to be a bag of dust. Well, verse 10 of Ephesians 1 is perhaps the greatest summary of God's ultimate purpose. Listen to it. It, it, It's the central theme of all Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. Now, of course, many have rejected this revelation from God and are placing their bets elsewhere. They are worshiping somewhere else today, other than a Christian church. But for those of us who have been conquered by the grace of God and who have gladly submitted to His eternal and infallible revelation, this statement says it all. Here we get to look behind the veil. Here we get to see God's ultimate plan for the world. And in seeing His ultimate plan, it turns out we find this enormous peace for our own circumstances, whatever they are. We find comfort and hope in a world that seems to have gone mad. We can find calm in the midst of a storm. Unless the eternal, infinite God is pleased to reveal His plan, then we in our infinitude would have to simply remain ignorant about all of it. As Paul will speak of the Gentiles whom he described as having no hope and without God in the world. The following quote is from Dr. J. Gresham Machen's book, The Christian Faith in the Modern World, published in 1924. He was a professor of apologetics at Princeton And after you hear this quote, you'll realize if you look at Princeton now, uh, you'll see uh, a great 
decline. He was also founder of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Here's what he says. How can we discover whether there is a God at all? I have something rather simple to say about that question at the very start. It is something that seems rather obvious to me, and yet it is something that is quite generally ignored, and it is simply this. If we are really to know anything about God, it will probably be because God has chosen to tell it to us. Many persons seem to go on a very different assumption. They seem to think that if they are to know anything about God, they must discover God for themselves. That assumption seems to me to be extremely unlikely. Just supposing for the sake of argument that there is a being of, a such, of such a kind that he may with any propriety be called God, it does seem antecedently very improbable that weak and limited creatures of a day such as we are should discover him by our own efforts without any will on his part to make himself known to us. At least I think we can say that a God who could be discovered in that way would hardly be worth discovering. A mere passive subject of human investigation is certainly not a living God that can, long, uh, that can satisfy the longing of our souls. A divine being that could be discovered by my efforts, apart from his gracious will to reveal himself to me and to others, would be either a mere name for a certain aspect of man's own nature, a God that we could find within us, or else at best be a, a mere passive thing that would be the subject of investigation like the substances that are analyzed in a laboratory. I think we ought to stick to that particular principle rather firmly. I think we ought to be rather sure that we cannot know God unless God has been pleased to reveal himself to us. So in Ephesians 1.10, God has revealed something about himself that is absolutely critical, and it's critical to you right now. In whatever circumstances you're in, it is critical. Something that we could not know apart from that revelation. We are invited to peer into something that is even above our own personal salvation. We get a glimpse into ultimate things. God tells us what his ultimate and final purpose is, and we get to see how the story ends. This revelation then provides some enormous and very practical help with immediate circumstances when they are confusing and chaotic and frightening and stressful. What about crime and riots and the presidential election? What about the Middle East? and terrorism, and the persecution of believers? What about my personal crisis, or my diagnosis, or my impending death? You and I don't know what's going to happen next in the world. We don't know what's going to happen next in our personal lives. Because there's way more that we don't know than what we do know. But there is something that we do know that stands above all of these unknowns. This is a rock that you can build on. This is a refuge. This 
is your hiding place. We know this thing based on the authority of the one who cannot lie and who changes not. We know the Alpha and the Omega. We know the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, who is Jesus Christ. We know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And we know that of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. So no matter what happens in the world, nothing can thwart His plan. Right this second, right now, He is fully mindful of the whole world, the whole cosmos, and He's fully mindful of you and your circumstances. He's not too busy. He's not distracted. You have all of his attention. He is not surprised. He is not alarmed. As Isaiah said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, for he trusteth in thee. Perhaps we need a t-shirt that says, Keep calm. Remember God's plan. So let's walk through this one verse quickly. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. And in case we missed, missed it the first time, he says it again, in him. In Christ, in him. The word translated dispensation simply means to dispense, which carries with it the idea of stewardship. In other words, God is executing His plan and He is executing it with precision, right on time. He is a good administrator. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, or we'd say at the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Right on time. Romans 5, 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time, or at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Since all of history is centered in Christ, He is the preeminent one. All things are for Him. Therefore, it makes sense that time is marked and measured around Him. We, in the Christian West, measure time before Christ. And Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, marked a new world. We started time over. We started the new world in Christ. I would note that the French Revolution, they, in, the, in the French Revolution, they tried to dispense with the Christ-centered Gregorian calendar and sought to start over with their own revolution. That lasted about 13 years. 
upon the arrival of Jesus into the world and after his ascension into heaven that marked the end of the old and the beginning of the new. And we have been living in the end times ever since. A lot of misunderstanding out there about this idea. But the Bible is pretty clear. I'd say it's very clear. We've been living in the end times. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10:11. Now, all these things happened in the Old Testament. As examples, they were written for our admonition. Now, he's talking to first century Christians. And, and he's written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The end times began with the resurrection of Jesus. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers and to the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. And the Apostle Peter tells us that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation For this, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. You think about that when you're a little kid. Next Friday is a long way off. That birthday party that somebody's having that you're going to go to, we never told Rachel about a birthday party a week in advance. That was agony for us. It it, it just, when when is it going to happen? When? When is it going to happen? Summer vacation seemed long. When I was 12. It didn't seem long at all anymore. Why? Well, as we get older, a year, a summer, smaller, smaller percentage of our lives. Well, what do you think it is to God in eternity? You see, when God has a plan, we get anxious. What's going to happen? When, when is this going to happen? Like the good parent, our father says, I've got it. My plan's in place. It'll happen. Be patient. Trust me. So God's ultimate plan to reconcile all things in Christ is being worked out, and it is being worked out right on schedule. And notice he says, all things. Not just church things. Not just the salvation of your soul. Every single thing. The word all is all-inclusive. There are no exceptions. Otherwise, he would have said some, or many, or most. But he said all things, Ephesians 1.10, that he might gather together all, excuse me, in one, all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Just in case we thought he was limiting that. All things, the same Greek word that Paul uses in Colossians where he says Jesus created all things. 
For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist or hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The text says he also reconciled all things. Colossians 1, 20-29 For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Every last thing. Ephesians 1.11 Our next verse, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works what? All things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. It's easy to read that and let it slide right past. You, know, you understand what He just said? Whatever's going on in your life, He's still got you. He's still at work. He's already, he knows exactly where you're going. He's predetermined that in Christ. It's certain. It is more certain than yesterday's news. You. Ephesians 1, 22-23, He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Ephesians 4.10, He who descended is also the One who ascended far above the heavens that He might... Fill all things. Ephesians 4, 15-16, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the Head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for edif- the edifying of itself in love. God puts you in the church. He had a very specific place for you to do something, to be a part of something bigger than yourself. That's part of His plan. And then the text says, heaven and earth. Both, all things which are in heaven and which are on earth. Heaven and earth in Christ are reunited. The Greek word for gathered together is, begins with the word ana, A-N-A, which means again. Important word here. This isn't just a uniting of heaven and earth, but a reuniting of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth were together in paradise. They were torn apart by sin. God and man were separated. Heaven and earth were separated. The revolt began in heaven when Satan and a third of the angels fell with him. And so we read in Revelation 12:7, and a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth. 
and his angels cast out with him. Even the broader creation felt this radical disruption. Satan would export his revolution to the earth and to man, and the harmony of paradise was disrupted by sin, and man was cast out and separated from God. And Paul writes in Romans 8.20, for the creation was subjected to this futility. Heaven and earth were divided. Communion was broken. God's plan was to restore the communion by reuniting all things in Christ. Remember what John the Baptist said when Jesus came? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That was his mission. This reunification, listen, this reunification has already begun in Christ. This isn't off out there yet to happen. It has already begun. Hebrews 12, 22-24 But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. That's already happened. In Christ, we are being brought back together, and they are all, all these things are being reconciled. Ultimately, the new heavens and the new earth are reunited. All of this present earth will be consumed but it will soon be fully renewed, restored, and united forever with heaven. Second Peter 3, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? What kind of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This has already begun. It began in the first century. And God has been executing his plan ever since. And he's doing it right now. And Paul says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Who made, who created all this? We already read it. Jesus. And what was it made for? For him. Do you think he's not going to reclaim his inheritance? Do you think he's not going to finish the job? And then last, again, to emphasize, he, Paul says all of this is in Christ. In him. It is all 
It is all, and you are all about him. It's all about him. You're all about him. Whatever's going on is about him. And the sooner that soaks in, the sooner we self-consciously embrace that, the sooner we look to that in our various situations, and as we look at the world around us, we realize there's a story going on that the New York Times is not reporting. It's not on cable news. And it's going on in a million places every day. Billions of places. I got to visit with uh, Dr. Grant on the way to the airport. And I just had him telling me about all the things their church is doing in Nashville, in that area. Here's one church. And then as I was thinking about our church and realizing things we do, and I got to multiplying things about all the churches in our community and across our land and in the world, and knowing that Pastor Volkov and Pastor Ravil are, uh, are in Uzbekistan this week working with a new church there. And, and you just get to thinking about there are, people, there, there are poor people being ministered to. There are people who are receiving the Word of God and getting instruction and counsel and love and affection, comfort in, in grief, uh, hope. I mean, saving lives, adopting babies, taking care of people's health needs. We, we could just go on. How many acts in the name of Christ, go on every day. You see, the body of Christ is at work, that leaven. And it's been doing it for 2,000 years. Nobody's reporting on that. They don't want to see that. The light came into the world. The darkness did not comprehend it. It's made by him, for him, through him, into him, and that includes you and me. Psalm 139, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet none of them were there. How precious also are your thoughts of me, O God. How great the sum of them. He has numbered the hairs on your head. And so, you and I now know the ultimate purpose and plan of God, Almighty God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just a plan we read about from a distance. We are intimately involved. We're part of the detailed plan. Do you not know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? What then shall we say to these things, Paul asked? If God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? 
Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who right now makes intercession for us, for you. Jesus is praying for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep before the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, that's today, nor things to come, tomorrow, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe, just maybe, we should read and listen to a little less news and instead read and listen to a lot more Bible. Let's pray. Father, we are little children that are afraid of the dark. We see shadows and monsters. We hear odd sounds and we tremble. Our anxieties are great and they can overwhelm us. There are threats all around us and within us. Thank you for turning a light on for us, for giving us a night light so that we might see you, so that we might know our Heavenly Father is with us, so that our fears might be dispelled. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8. Paul writes, beginning in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed to us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. He goes on to say, For we were saved in this hope But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. God has demonstrated his faithfulness over and over and over. That's why we have the Bible. We have all this history of how God worked, even in in, uh, what seemed to be impossible circumstances, he worked. In all those stories, he's telling us, you can trust me. That's what he told Job. That's what he told Joseph, that's what he told Daniel, that's what he told all of his people. Again, the Bible is full of serpents and dragons and giants and villains and dangers and enemies. But we have been given the dragon slayer, the one who calms the sea, crushes the serpent, and conquers all of his and our enemies. We are in him. For whatever is born of God, John writes, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? 
but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Every Sunday is Memorial Day for us, for Christians. We come to remember who he is and what he's done. We come to remember who we are and why we're here. Just listen to the familiar words you've heard over and over, but hear them again. And the word of God is living. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Indeed, my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. O Lord our God, never let us foolishly think that any battle, spiritual or material, has been won by our own power. Remove all pride from us and give us implicit trust in you and desire for you to have the glory. In the battles of this day, let us lean upon your arm and have true victory. Remind us of Israel's conquest of the land, that it was not by their own sword or by their own arm. You did not choose Israel because it was a nation greater in number than any of the other nations, or more powerful, cultural, or intellectual, or because of your great, but because of your great covenant love. Keep us from saying or thinking, my power and the might of my arm have gained me this wealth. Instruct our hearts and minds and keep us sober that we might hope fully in your grace. Neither let us be afraid or ashamed of the gospel, for it is the light of the world, proclaiming the saving work of the Savior and proclaiming victory in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his presence, the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.